0: Does the Bible have anything to say about finances? Today, we're going to be talking about gaining a biblical perspective when it comes to money. Welcome to the Dorinda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorinda, wife to one, mom to eight, Nana to 10, and 28-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, 31 Days in God's Word, which is a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschool moms. So if you are interested in a free devotional that I have. It's a digital download that goes with uh, the the four hour school day. Um, I would encourage you to subscribe to my email. It's just a once a month, just a monthly email. I'm not going to uh, blow up your inbox by any stretch of the imagination. I'm lucky to get one out a month, but there will be encouragement and updates and all of that in each of those newsletters. But if you sign up for that right now, you can get that digital download for free so I encourage you to go do that. Also, um, I wanted to let you know that I have a mentoring course, an online mentoring course. It is a, a series of videos that I created uh, talking about how to take a simple, unhurried approach to homeschooling in kindergarten to 12th grade, so I cover all the grade levels, lots of resources, um, and I'll include a link in the show notes so that you can easily find your way there. i also leave a link for the uh, the little digital download that I talked about, um, if you're interested in that. Also, you know, I've been talking about CTC math for a while, and here's a great testimony from one of my listeners. She said, I took a leap of faith and tried CTC math for the kids. I kept hearing you talk about it on your super helpful and wonderful podcast. Thank you for that. <laughs> Our lives are so much better with this incredible program. My kids beg to do their math lessons first, and it has freed me up to work with the other kids more intentionally because I'm not struggling to teach concepts to frustrated children. It is a wonder. I was planning to pay for a math tutor to come over and help, and now I don't have to search for one. Thank you. P.S. Yes, I've already told all my homeschool mom friends. So moms, uh, if you're looking for a new math program, this is kind of that that time of year when we're thinking about next year and you, you're looking at some different options, please go check out ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you. Okay, so let's dive into today today's topic. All of us have a perspective on money, whether we realize it or not the question is who is informing that perspective today we're going to be going back to god's word as we do with everything for clarification on what our view as believers on finan- as believers on finances should be Today, my friend Scott Lapierre is here to walk us through some important questions and to help us understand better how to view money and finances through the lens of Scripture. Scott Lapierre is the teaching pastor of Woodland Christian Church in Woodland, Washington. He's an author and a conference speaker. He holds a master's degree in biblical studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wife Katie have nine children and they are passionate homeschooling advocates. Scott is a former school teacher and army officer. You can learn more about him at scottlapierre.org. I hope you'll go check that out. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for being here with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Dorenda. Really glad to be on your show with you and have this time with you and your listeners. So,
0: Well, I'm excited because finances can be quite uh, a burden for growing families. And I think it's important for us to be looking to God's word for clarity on, you know, on finances, because of course he is the one with the answers and he understands completely uh, what actually works and what doesn't, what's good for us and what is not. Um, Mm -hmm. But you published a book a while back called Your Finances, God's Way. So I'm just curious what motivated you to write this book?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. I appreciate that. So I, I'm i a full-time pastor. I do writing, uh, you know, I might say on the side, but largely with the sermons that I preach to my church. And I often come up with the sermons based on the needs that I see in my church. And mm-hmm. so there, my marriage book, which came up before my finance book, was a need I saw in the church. I'm doing a lot of marriage co- marriage counseling, and I'm wanting to see marriages strengthened well, then in marriage counseling, one of the more common frustrations or topics you deal with is finances. Mm-hmm. So we spend, you know, months, it was supposed to be a marriage month, it ended up being almost the marriage year was the running joke at my church on, <laughs> on, uh, with the sermon series. And then that transitioned to finances. <laughs> and so basically to me, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to write separately for my preaching ministry. Sure. And so if I, if it's in my book, more than likely I preached it in my church and so I preached on finances to to answer your question simply because I saw a real need for that with with Christian families for them to be mm. equipped in this way. We have a lot of homeschooling families in our church. Finances can be tight when when you're d- generally single income and might have mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, quite a few children. And so wanting people to be able to handle their finances better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. And we know how finances can negatively impact marriage. I, mean, I think by understanding, tell me if I'm wrong, is that it's basically kind of the number one marriage
1: issue. Yeah, you're right. So marriage counseling is often financial counseling along right. with parenting uh, finances is right there near the top you have one person that is thriftier and then you have one person that is spendier and you can see the <laughs> collision there
0: yeah and I think that's pretty typical there's usually a spender and a saver um, mm-hmm. in the marriage and it, you know kind of like the opposites attract kind mm-hmm. of thing
1: <laughs> but <laughs> the, the other issue is even if even if you're you can come to an agreement there's just an anxiety that's caused when money mm-hmm. is tight and so let's mm-hmm. let's just say you're having some financial problems and you're... And, in your marriage well then that spills over and you take out that frustration you're just struggling you're stressed out your spouse happens to be you know the person that's next to you and and it's Mm -hmm. like you're on edge with each other and it doesn't even have anything to do with what the other person's doing it just has to do with the financial problems you're having and now it's it's affecting your marriage.
0: Right, because those aren't those aren't problems you can solve in a day. They tend to be more long term, so they're like a long term stress and mm-hmm. just a burden that you're carrying. So, um, do most people have an income problem or a spending problem?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, it, I'd say in the United States, we typically have spending problems. And so, I give mm-hmm. you a whole bunch of numbers. Just uh, and it, it's in one of the chapters, early chapters in my book. I talk about how wealthy we are as Americans compared. to, to the rest of the world, and especially to people throughout human history, even the poorest people in our country, even people who live below what's considered the poverty line in right, the United right. States are still considerably wealthier than many, most people throughout the world and almost everyone throughout human history. Mm-hmm. And so when that's the case, we need to recognize that we typically don't have income problems. And I say typically, because it's not to say that there aren't some people with legitimate income problems. And I don't want to sound mm-hmm. insensitive toward right. them if someone loses a job or those medical bills start piling up, or we had two families in our church, their houses their house is burned down. Oh, wow. And and that puts people in legitimate financial struggles. <clears throat> but for most people, we, it, we have spending problems. And if you I, I hope your listeners can recognize the big problem associated with having spending problems, but thinking you have an income problem. If you mm-hmm. think you have an income problem, mm-hmm. you're putting the fault in the wrong place. Probably you're on your job or your boss for not paying you well enough right. for how hard you work, right? right? And so you're blame when you're blaming your boss. You should probably be blaming yourself. And so, mm-hmm. and I, when people um, want to come in for counseling with me. I'll tell them if it's going to be financial counseling, you need to come in with the last three bank statements. And that's because if I just use some round numbers here, let's just say there's a a couple and they make $6,000 per month and they add their mortgage and then they add their car payments. And let's say that comes to $4,000. They're looking at this $2,000 that they think they should have available, but they're finding they're spending $7,000 per month. Well, what's that other three thousand dollars being spent on? And I've just noticed this so commonly. People look confused. I think it's. I think they're sincere, and mm-hmm. they say, "You know, we paid off our. We've made our major payments each month. Where's the rest of this money going?" Well, when they bring in their bank statements, we can look at that, and that's when mm-hmm. I learned about the most common spending problems people have. And so, one of them, if, and we can talk about them as long as you like, would be small purchases that add up. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. rarely notice how many small purchases add up. And one of the reasons it's super easy to make these purchases is that they're small. It's a lot easier to throw, you know, $10, $20, even $50 at something versus a hundred or a thousand. And so when I'm looking at people's bank statements and I'm saying, you know, how, where did, what was this spent on right here? I see that there's, can you tell me, you know, you went to Walmart, you wanted to buy groceries right? and then you ended up spending all this extra money. It's all those extra items you purchased when you just planned on picking up one or two things and so it's a lot easier to justify small purchases you know we can tell yeah. ourselves it's only this this amount of money it doesn't seem detrimental to us not keeping in mind how much it adds up i mean one of the premier examples and we you know i've got my coffee here on my a desk behind me i've got my coffee so but i you know i made this at home this morning so you know the guy that drives to work and he picks up his $5 coffee mm-hmm, and he does mm-hmm, that every day mm-hmm. for for a few years, he you know, he spent, if he does that, he'll spend $7,000 in a year just on coffee. And then that's not even counting. Um, And I'm not making up that number. I mean, that's from doing the math. If you go five times per week, then you start adding in eating out, you add in going to the movies. I mean, for, we're expecting our 10th child. And so you think about what that would cost to take and you have a big family too. So you think about what that would cost to go to a, go to a movie.
0: Yeah, we didn't go. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't go. We actually did have like a really inexpensive theater. It was just it showed one movie that had just gone out of the theater but wasn't on DVD yet. And so in that little in-between spot. Sometimes we would be able to splurge and go do that. It was like, you know, a couple dollars for each person. And so yeah. that was a lifesaver for us. And I remember one year at Christmas asking my parents um just for Basically, uh, like a movie theater trip for our whole family, you know, like uh-huh. actually going to the theater to a current movie. And it was, it was—I think it was at the time it was—it cost us somewhere around seventy-five dollars. And I don't know that we got much in the way of food or anything. So it was, it was pretty wild, but it was fun. It was a treat. It was a gift. It was something my parents could give me. But yeah, those things add up so quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's so true. You don't—you think about that five dollars per day. You know, five days a week throughout mm-hmm. the year. I, I would have never guessed seven thousand yeah. dollars. That's like a vehicle. You can buy a used yeah. vehicle for that. My husband taught me this at the very beginning. Cause I I'm I'm probably more of the spender. I wouldn't say that I'm like I'm not like a consumer, but I don't I didn't give spending necessarily a a really serious thought each time I spent. Mm -hmm. And so we were first buried and, um, I said something, I wanted to spend a few dollars on something, three or $4 on something. And he, I said, it's only like $4. And he goes, well, you know, that's a coffee, right? I was like, cause he knows, he knows my love language. I love coffee. And so like Uh going out and getting a latte or something at that point, maybe three or four bucks. And I realized wow, so if I spend that there, I can't spend that there. And he was teaching me opportunity costs. Like if you spend it over also. here, you can't spend it over here. And I never forgot that. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's funny you said mm-hmm. that because that, that was kind of my wife, uh, Katie, we have a very similar situation. She grew up, her father was a farmer. So he always had like thousands of dollars coming in and out, thought nothing about right. sending his kids 200 $300 here and there. So, you know, like most people, Katie and I get married. We think we're gonna be the first couple in human history to never have any conflict go through premarital counseling. And it's kind of like, you know, this applies to a lot of other people, but we don't we don't really right. need to hear this. Right. And so we're driving, we stop at this gas station and Katie wants to buy like this energy drink, which I, I'm not joking. I think it was like a, a huge can, maybe like 6 $7. And I said, we could, you know, go to Costco and j- just let you know, buy a whole case for like near that price. And, and so- she said, well, and it was like really tense between us. And I'm like, right. I know, I just cannot even imagine going and spending that kind of money like that. And so that was where we had to work through our own financial problems, too, because I'd always, right. you know, been a, a school teacher, which didn't make a lot of money. And I don't know if I, I don't think I was pastoring yet, but I knew on the horizon, this is what's in store and we need, you know, kind of going to let God. Play the family, or give him the right. family. Not a, not a mm-hmm. commentary on what everyone else has to do, but that was our conviction.
0: Yes, and it's yeah. like
1: no, we can't we can't be throwing away seven hundred bucks or seven dollars like this on right. one drink.
0: Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, I think that there's. There's common, like more common spending problems. Can you share what, you, yeah. what you've you seen are the most yeah. common?
1: Yeah, so another one super common is what I call worthless purchases. And it's really important to be clear about what I mean by this. I don't mean that the item itself is worthless. You know, we're not gonna buy something, hopefully, if it's worthless. I right. mean, it's worthless for you. So right. what makes something worthless for you? Well, it means you never did anything with it. It means it's the article mm. of clothing you bought that you never put on, that stayed in your right. closet forever. It's that tool you purchased right. that you never used. It's, and we have so many worthless purchases in that sense that we go and how many things are sitting there for weeks, months. And there's a whole other, a whole other conversation we can have about clutter, um, mm-hmm. stuff. You know, most mm-hmm. people throughout human history struggled to have necessities. And our struggle is we have too many necessities. Uh, right. One of the, One of the things I wrote about in my book that I was shocked by is one of the most booming industries in our country is self-storage.
0: Yeah. Um, I've heard this. I've heard this. It's crazy. Every time I drive by a storage unit place, I think of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You want to, you want to make some money. You want to be entrepreneurial or go into real estate, go buy self-storage units because (laughs) they're just like exploding. And you know how it is. People buy this and then they think, well, I'll just go get the stuff when I need it. It sits there for years. They never access any of it, which shows they didn't need it. They threw away all that money. In Mm -hmm. fact, I'm not kidding. The average average American pays $100 per month to keep a self-storage unit. That's the average. Wow. That means, and I don't have one, so that means there's other people that are paying for me not oh, having man. one. So if people spending hundreds of dollars per month just to keep all this, for lack of a better way to say, a junk or at least let's say worthless purchases. Right,
0: right. It's, if it's something you're not using, that's the well thing. Said. You know, when when we moved across the country, um, we could only take so many things with us <laughs> that we could fit in the moving truck. You know, so at the end, it, where there was triage. You know, this or this, which are you going to keep? And but then we got over here, and and then a bunch of things went into the basement. And we, five years later, we moved Still there. and I hadn't opened these boxes the entire time we were in mm-hmm. that house. And so then you're asking yourself, did I really need to haul that across the country? Probably not. My mother-in-law always said three moves are as good as a fire
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: for <laughs> going through things. So moving can be a great way to keep things down to a minimum, but if we could just not purchase them in the first place, yeah. um, yeah. I, I, do you have questions that that we can ask ourselves before we purchase something? That I do. That, that's help a super us. good
1: question. Yeah. yeah. So I'll share one story really quickly, and then I'll answer that. So I used to, okay. when I was a school teacher, we'd go on on field trips, and I think when one of my principals said that I seemed as concerned with the character development of my students as their academic development. Mm -hmm. So I was always looking for opportunities outside of academics to equip my students. And whenever we went on field trips, that's like the prime time because I taught fifth grade. It wasn't in the curriculum to talk about money, it, but that was right. the prime time to talk about money. And I'm like, yeah. look, your parents, your parents are giving you a bunch of money today to, to buy lunch. And I'm not joking, Dorinda, there's a bunch of kids that are spending their money in the souvenir shop before we even get to lunch. So they don't even oh. get to have lunch. <laughs> and I'm like, we're, we're going to go to this place. There's going to be a souvenir shop that's going to super overcharge for everything. Do not spend mm-hmm. any money there. Mm-hmm. And then I would even tell them, I'll say, this is what's going to happen. When we drive back tonight to the school, I'm gonna walk down the aisle of the bus and I'm gonna look to my left and right at all the seats to see if any kids left their backpacks and things like that. And whatever you buy in the souvenir shop, you're probably going to leave in that seat because you already don't care about it. You're gonna waste your money on something, and before we can even get home tonight, you will have already lost interest in it. And I would tell the students that this happened every year before and then many of the Mm -hmm. same students would do it that year they would have i would just walk and i'm like there's more stuff they bought you know that they spent too much money on and didn't even and so my point is as adults the reason i share with your listeners is we buy many things that we wouldn't care about leaving in the seat even like Mm -hmm. you know a week later so so here's my recommendation wait about two weeks to see if you still want to make the purchase. Most of the regret that people experience associated with purchases occurs within that first two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so if you'll wait two weeks, which fruit of the spirit, I mean, self-control, you know, it's important for us to be disciplined Christians. And so uh, I don't even, this might sound too strong, crucifying the flesh. For some people, it might literally be a crucifixion of the flesh to not buy that thing. That they want. And so Mm -hmm. wait two weeks, see if you still want to buy. And I think many people would be surprised how many things they do not want to buy two weeks later and how thankful they'll be that they didn't make that purchase two weeks later. Right. And then the other the other piece of advice which is tied into this is I encourage people to do research. Now you you don't always have to do research. I mean, if it's a smaller purchase, but for larger things, if it's electronics, definitely Mm -hmm. if it was a vehicle. Mm Um, I know that used vehicles have become more expensive, and so I think everyone's always heard, don't buy a used vehicle. It depreciates so much value when you drive it off the lot because used vehicles have become more expensive. It it can look like a better deal to buy a, a new vehicle, but I'm still pretty much a, a fan of not buying new vehicles. Yeah. yeah. With that said, how are you going to know when that used vehicle you're looking at is a good deal or not? I don't personally. It's not my skill set. There's men in my church that build their houses and work on their vehicles. I bring my vehicle to them, mm-hmm. so I don't know anything about vehicles. So I had sure. to do a re- this research, and I'll I'll tell you a story briefly. So. We had outgrown, like happens to many homeschool families, our minivan. We're going up to the 15 passenger, right? Right. So this is a a pretty big, pretty big purchase for us. It is. Yep. And so I'm, I opened my Excel spreadsheet and I had kind of this formula where there was like the year, the miles, the model, and then it would kind of give me this rating for each vehicle. And I'd get up each day and I'd look and see, or sometimes twice a day, see whatever new vehicles were put on the market within like four or five hours of our house. And then I would record on this spreadsheet and pretty quickly, Dorinda, even though I know nothing about vehicles, I developed considerable familiarity with good mm-hmm. deals versus bad mm-hmm. deals. Mm-hmm. And so, and this will be the case for almost anyone with things you do. Even if you say, I don't know anything about it, as soon as you start kind of doing this research, looking at prices within probably a week. So I knew, wow, okay, this these are fair deals and they're all about the same. So I wake up this one day right. And there's this van, 15 passenger van and kind of like when my rating it like shoots off shoots off the page and I'm like it looked like this incredible deal. I called a guy and I just wanted to confirm that the numbers I was seeing were correct. I didn't tell him it looks like you're not p- charging enough for this, but I'm just trying to confirm and he says, "Boy, you know, you're the you just I just listed this. You must have just seen it, you know." And I said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, I'm very interested in it. You're about 3 or 4 hours away if I drive there. I just like to be convinced you won't sell it out from under me. And he said, if you'll be here in four hours, you know, I won't, I won't, I won't sell it. And I said, thank you. And I kind of, you know, confirmed as I'm driving that I'm still heading there. So I get there and the, the van had this interesting logo on the side of it. And I said, can you kind of tell me the story with this, with this man? Cause I could tell he didn't own it. And he said, well, I'm friends with this guy that's a restaurant owner that has a lot of money He purchased this van for the restaurant, never used it, just told me to get rid of it. And I think the guy might've been a Christian. And Mm -hmm. he said, you know, by the time you came here, I'm not joking. He said like 500 people have called interested in it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I ended up getting that van. It was thousands of dollars cheaper than it should have been. But my point, Dorinda, is I never would have known if I hadn't been doing the research. And, and of course it was kind of tough for those weeks I, so I recommend two weeks. You could even wait three or four weeks Mm -hmm. while doing that research to be in the minivan versus the, you know, 15 passenger. But I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it with houses. If you don't know anything about houses, that's a major expense. So do your research and you know, you moved across the country. I'm sure you guys did considerable research. So by the time you take that plunge, you, you can be determined that it's a, a good purchase for you.
0: Right, right. And I think, uh, talk about the 15 passenger van, our story is my husband was doing that research. He'd been watching and looking and looking at the strengths and weaknesses of each brand and their durability and all of that. And um, it turned out this one van became available, but it was through a rental car company, which we'd never thought about looking at a rental car company because they have to maintain them to a certain mm-hmm. degree.
1: And get rid um, of them when they get to, yeah. And
0: get rid of them, yes. And so this was just like a working, a bunch of workers used to, you know, they used to haul them in this, in this van. And so we had that van for 12 years.
1: Oh, wonderful. And it
0: was <laughs> the most dependable thing ever. So yes, I totally hear what you're saying. And yeah, just spending a little bit of time and not being in a hurry. Um, I think being prayerful too over it, you know, like, Lord, just, the lord obviously like magnified that one particular one to you and um yeah that's that's just awesome
1: yeah and so know. just just to connect the dots my point is wait those 2 3 weeks and then mm-hmm. th- what do you do during those weeks it's not just waiting that's when you're doing your research and right. then the one other thing i'd say cuz there's wisdom i mean how many proverbs tell us in in mm-hmm. different ways or sometimes it's the exact same right. verse right. there's wisdom in many counselors mm-hmm. Ta- if you're if you're looking at vehicles, talk to the people you know who look, who know vehicles, talk to the yes, people who know yes. houses, talk yes. to the people in your church who know about plumbing or or patios if you're thinking of building a patio.
0: Yes, yes. You know, also uh, my husband always says it's, it's worth it to take the car you're considering buying to your mechanic and just having them look it over. Um, you know, you maybe spend 50 bucks. And you, you know, you kind of at least know what you're getting into because um, my husband isn't mechanical either. And so, you know, like you took it to the guys at your church. My husband just paid a mechanic to look at it. He goes like, I can either spend 50 now or maybe spend thousands later if, if it's not the right vehicle. So um, that's another, another little tip there. But, you know, a lot of people have heard that saying that uh, money is the root of all evil. Now we, we know that's not actually completely accurate. So could you, can you explain that? Yeah,
1: so I have two of my elders use King James. I use ESV, and so I'm I'm definitely not anti King James by any means. Although we don't, I've never preached from it, and Mm. uh, unfortunately, there's a poor translation there. The King James is where that came from. That the Mm -hmm. the love of money is the root of all evil, or I think it even says money is the root of all evil. And so that's that's a poor translation for a couple reasons. First, money is not the root of all evils. There's plenty Mm. of evil unassociated with money. But then second, it puts the blame on money, which is amoral, it's not moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. There are many mm-hmm. ways in which our world twists things like guns, for example. Mm-hmm. Guns are amoral. Our, our world wants to act like guns are bad, right? right. So right. money itself is a resource or a tool like most other things in life, mm-hmm. and it depends what we do with it. But mm-hmm. our relationship to it, kind of like food, food is right. amoral, but our relationship to it is moral, right? Mm-hmm. And so our relationship to money, how we view it, what we do with it is immensely moral. In -hmm. fact, one of the things I try to help people see in financial counseling is that money is a stewardship. We don't really own it, like many things. In fact, this can apply to almost, you know, we talk about our marriages, our children, our homes, the office you're using now, the office that I'm using, all of these Mm -hmm. are, are we don't own God, we should view these as stewardships. Right. And one of the nice things, if you view finances as a stewardship, if you recognize it's not really your money, it's God's money, you're first you're gonna be much more serious with it. But second, you're gonna be able to give it away much easier, right? Mm-hmm. You're not really giving mm-hmm. when you give to the church or a cause or something like that. You know, Dennis, you know probably you know Dennis Gunderson, Grace and Truth books, and he speaks at homeschool conferences. He was in the area, spoke at our church, took over this missionary organization. Well, if we want to support him and give money to him, it's not really our money we're giving. It's Mm -hmm. God's money. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's a super important principle with finances is to to view it as as a stewardship that it doesn't really belong to us in the first place.
0: Right. Right. And it takes, actually takes the pressure off too. And I think also just, I did this with the kids at one point when I would just, I would just get too emotional when it came to uh, disciplining them and that kind of thing. And I was praying about it. And it was like, the Lord reminded me of when I was a nanny and um, I wasn't the parent, you know, I, I would go to the parent and say, "How do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to, you know, what do you want me to do with your child in this situation?" And so I started thinking of my kids as just God's kids, and He was the dad, <laughs> and uh, you know, the main dad. There's they have their earthly dad, but then the main dad during the day, maybe when dad's not available, and I would just go and say, "Lord, what do you what do you want me to do with these kids?" your kids are misbehaving. <laughs> Boy, that's and a it fantastic. Just helps me, it just helped me have perspective and not feel so emotionally attached to everything. And so I think you could, it's it's kind of, it's basically along that same line. As An emotional
1: attachment. Talking. Yeah, I, right. I, that's really good. I'm probably going to have to steal that. Durandal. <laughs> Pastors are thieves typically, you know. Oh always, yeah, go so for I'll it. So I'll try to remember to, to <laughs> quote you in that when I well, use that Don't, a don't worry about it. <laughs>
0: So this is a really interesting question. Do you think the way we handle money says much about us spiritually?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I think that tip, maybe you've heard this saying before, if you want to understand someone, the two things to check out are their are their calendar and their checkbook. You know, the calendar to, that tells you how they spend their two most important resources, right. their time and their money. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's considerable truth to that. You know, the way we says, spend our time says much about us and the way we spend our money does. And, and one of the things that I, I try to tell people is that every financial decision is a spiritual decision. So the problem is we look at, we kind of compartmentalize our lives and we have like these spiritual areas, probably like our marriage and our children, but finances is like, it's a, it's not spiritual and which is completely wrong. What, what makes something spiritual? Well, if the Bible deals with it, it's spiritual. If the Bible right. talks about it, it's spiritual. Most. Jesus preached on money or many of his parables related to money more than most other Mm -hmm. topics that we do consider to be spiritual. So Mm. if the Bible determines for us what is spiritual, then the more frequently something is discussed, the more spiritual it is, right? Like prayer, love, forgiveness. Well, money is right right there toward the top of these topics, which makes money immensely spiritual. So the way we handle it says much about us, us spiritually,
0: That's an interesting thought because it it makes, I'm I'm already like, you know, self-analyzing here. What does my calendar say? And where (laughs) am I spending my money? And I think that's a really great thing to maybe stop and really look at and prayerfully go over. Um, So I love that. So you talked about um, how wealthy we are in the U.S. and what does this mean for us as stewards? You talked about how wealthy we are in the U.S., but but the question is, what does this mean for
1: us? Yeah, good question. It means we have high accountability. Mm. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like my children. They say, well, you know, I'm really cons- I'm concerned. We have this map on our wall of the world and it shows unreached peoples and it kind of mm-hmm. shows. And so we're trying to, you know, pray probably not as frequently as we should for different unreached groups or right, reading right. about them. And so my children are burdened for them. And I say, well, there's a sense in which we should also be burdened for the People around us because we have very high accountability. Those people, we walk down the street and we're going to pass two or three churches. Those people have never seen a church. So we have considerably high accountability. It's not to say we don't want to reach them with the gospel, but it is to say that that people in the United States who they can't, you know, go a few days without hearing about Jesus mm-hmm. ha- have incredible accountability. Well, similarly, because we have such exposure to churches, because we have so much money, we have much higher accountability in this way. And mm-hmm. so God does expect more of us. And and so I'm not a fan of of tithing in the sense that I don't think that it's, so if there's actually probably, if you want to, follow the old Testament law, you'd have to give about closer to 25% because mm-hmm. there were multiple tithes. So if someone says, Hey, well, I feel bound to tithe. I would say, Oh, okay, great. Which tithe or all of the tithes or just mm-hmm. one, you know? And so really as Americans, we should probably be giving much more than 10%. And so if we look at our budget and we make some, you know, tough decisions, most of us could give much more than 10%. And this is a that's one of the points because you're not bound to give a tithe. Mm-hmm. It is a personal decision between you and the Lord. So if some people come to me and they say, if they said, hey, you know, Pastor Scott, I read your whole finance book and I'm really burdened to be a better steward, but there's no place where you told me exactly how much to give. And I would say, uh-huh, yeah, that's correct. Cause it's a personal decision between you and the Lord.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. And the New Testament talks about that. It says to just basically to give, not out of compulsion. Well said, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, yeah, He loves a cheerful giver, and so I think that's that puts so much joy into giving. Um, but you're absolutely right we we are more accountable because of the the amount that the amounts that we have. We are wealthy, and I think it's so easy to to have almost a um, poor, I want to call it a poor man's mentality. You know, where we feel like we have to clutch tightly onto everything, or it's going to be taken away from us instead of that idea that, oh, wait, no, this is all God's. How does he, you know, asking him, how does he want us to spend this? And such a different, different perspective. But I know there are some, um, likely some moms and maybe dads even listening, who have uh, debt that they have accumulated. It happens very, very quickly. So we're wondering if you could give us some advice about paying that off.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm not a fan of debt. I think mm-hmm. that we should strive to be debt-free. And I think that if there is an acceptable debt, which could be a whole other lengthy conversation, it would be a mm-hmm. mortgage. I don't think there's any, even if you want to buy a new vehicle, which again, I would discourage, right. I would highly encourage people to try to purchase vehicles with cash and there's definitely no place for consumer debt you know you don't go into mm-hmm. debt for those for that vacation or for those clothes or for that food so once you start paying off paying off um, you know those smaller the credit card or the school loans or things like that try to stay that way you know don't go back mm-hmm. into debt because you paid this off now you think you feel justified and, and that's one mm-hmm. of the major spending problems that gets people in debt is uh, entitlement or Mm -hmm. Mm self-entitlement, it's very Mm -hmm. common for us to say, I deserve this or I "I have earned this. And so I'm not saying there's not a place to reward ourselves. So I would encourage people to try to get out of debt as a family. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that, you're trying to, we're trying to teach our children. We're trying to equip them to go out and be godly adults who follow God's word. Well, that means we need to involve them in the decisions we make. So Mm -hmm. one of the things When we were trying to save up some money, as Katie made kind of that barometer, you know, and it has the little dashes to show when we're getting closer. Well, you do that with debt, and you Mm -hmm. say, okay, we have this thirty thousand, or we have this credit card, or this, or maybe all you have left is your mortgage, and so it takes a few years. And then you tell your kids, you say, when we can do this, we are going to take this trip or we are going to do this special thing. You're not going to spend so much, you go back into debt. But there can be a place to reward ourselves. But that's typically not how we do it. We typically use those words, I deserve this, to justify things we actually probably shouldn't do or I'm going through, and friends can be some of the very worst people in this area, because they mean well, they see we're struggling, and they come alongside us. It's almost like that story with Amnon and Tamar. He's like, hey, um, his name was Jonadab, and he comes alongside Amnon, who's lusting for his half-sister Tamar, and he says, oh, you know, you're the king's son, you deserve this, you should have this, or like, or like Jezebel comes next to Ahab and like, hey, you're the king, you know, you should have Naboth's vineyard if you want it. And so we do see right. frequent accounts in scripture of people encouraging others to, and that's basically what the devil did in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Oh no, mm-hmm. you know, God's trying to limit your happiness. He doesn't He doesn't want you to know right. as much as him. He doesn't, right. that's causing Eve to become entitled to eat this fruit. So mm-hmm. we, if we can strive to avoid entitlement, then that's one thing that can definitely help us avoid debt and pay off the debt that we that we have. And setting goals, you know, as you do that as a family, say this month we want to pay off five hundred or a thousand, right. celebrate those victories yeah. as a family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, it's, uh, it is so easy for that debt to accumulate. And the thing is, I think one of the other things that's really, really challenging in our culture is we are constantly being marketed to all (laughs) the time. I mean, even when we're trying not to listen or we're not necessarily paying attention, you go to the airport and there's, you know, there's TVs on with all kinds of stuff that they're trying to sell you. And and you're constantly hearing everywhere, you know, why your life will be better with this product.
1: Mm -hmm. And it never, ever ends. Yeah, I was a business major, or I'm sorry, I interrupted you.
0: No, go ahead. Okay,
1: I was a business major in college and I went through ROTC to become an army officer, but Uh I had chosen business as my degree and I took a marketing class. And marketing 101 is to cause people to feel entitled. Marketing Mm. is all about making people feel like they are not going to be happy without this you know right. and so it's that it's the constant bombardment especially in mm-hmm. our country like you you said the airport you're driving down the road the billboards uh, every single thing on the internet whether it's facebook there are all algorithms mm-hmm. that Ad companies are using or paying other businesses like Facebook to use to put in front of you those things that will be most attractive to you. So anytime you open your computer, you're being mm-hmm. bombarded there. And all of it is is to cause you to feel entitled, you deserve it, and you will not be happy until you until you have this
0: <laughs> right. and even even if you resist a lot of it, it can still feed into that well i'm just buying that small little thing all these i could have <laughs> bought all these other bigger things but i didn't i'm just going to spend it on this small thi- this small thing well repeatedly said. and then we're back where we were talking about at the beginning how quickly it multiplies um so yeah it's it's yeah i'm actually feeling challenged today because we've done we've done um a lot of you know going covered back Covered a lot of ground yes we've we've covered a lot of <laughs> ground and my husband and i over the years have had you know one income and it was you know, we were shocked actually in the midst of raising our children to find out that we were living below the poverty level. <laughs> we oh,
1: thought, wow.
0: <laughs> what is what does that mean? I'm like, we're we don't feel poor, like <laughs> we feel very wealthy, you know, we're fine, we have everything we need. And but you know, one of the things we were doing um, a lot of that time was we were taking cash and we were putting it in envelopes. You know, we had this amount for gas, we have this amount for groceries. Dave it was Ramsey's a very simple. Approach. Yep, it was a very yeah. simple, but it was actually uh, Larry Burkett who came before oh. Dave Ramsey, <laughs> mm-hmm. of course. Yes. It tells you how old I am. But anyway, <laughs> that's, you know, that idea was one of the things that helped get us out of debt. We had gotten into a really, really sticky situation early on in our marriage. And, um, and my husband was like, I never want this to happen again, ever, ever, ever. And so he just, we really just clamped down on things and were are very disciplined and decided we were only going to pay cash for the next car, which meant we lived with one car for the time being.
1: Mm, So we had the cash
0: for that other car and we've never not paid cash for a car since
1: then. And
0: that was 26 years ago. So, and I'm, and I agree with you completely, the whole don't buy the new car. I know there's some people who, you know, I know friends who will lease a car. It works well for them. It's just the dollars didn't make sense for us. And so we haven't done that. But and and my suspicion family.
1: is, my suspicion is, Duranda, you're going to have eight children that leave your home that do the exact same thing. Your, yes, your children is- <laughs> went through this with you and they remember, yep. and it's good yep. for our kids to struggle. It's good for them to be yeah. difficult. It's good for them to be a one vehicle family. And then they mm-hmm. remember that. And I bet all of your kids are going to go out and do the exact mm-hmm. same thing as you, you and your husband did, Dorenda. So yeah. I think yeah. Wonderful.
0: We've got seven grown and six are out of the house and they are exactly following suit. And uh, some of the they're they're shooting towards you know real estate investing which is what my husband ended up doing that's what God used to really grow our income. Um, you know we just we'd move into a place not planning to ever necessarily leave but we'd get a good deal on something move in do some fixing up just because we like it to look you know updated and nice, And then the, you know, the real estate would go up and we could sell it and it just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And so now we're sitting here at the other end and we have just an excellent, you know, retirement, you know, in terms of like our house is paid for, you know, those kinds of things that put us in a very comfortable position. But it was, it was about exactly what we've been talking about today. Discipline, perseverance, understanding, sacrifice, understanding that it's God's Money, not ours. And then also, I can honestly say, you know, there were times when we were eating, you know, lentils, oatmeal, stuff like that. It turns out that's actually one of the healthiest ways to eat, of course. <laughs> but, but our kids, um, you know, we were always on a budget and our kids watched that. You're right. They saw that. They're all very good with money now. And and it had to do with not all the courses we brought them through, but the life we lived. Experiences. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Last uh, question. What advice do you have for parents who want to help their children be good financial stewards? I think we sort of covered that, like, it, right.
1: Yeah. That's good. I think more is caught than taught. Right. And so involve your children. It's, we can never, they're never going to get this stuff in the public school system. I remember being in in the public school system and I don't remember any finance classes. Mm -hmm. Well, in homeschooling, we can teach our kids whatever we want. And so Mm -hmm. one of the best ways to do that isn't to open, I mean, you can open a math or a finance sure. book if you want, right. but I would say involve your kids in your life experiences, talk about what you're, you're giving. Even we tell our kids, we say, you know, we're going to give here. We're giving this to the church. This is how much we gave here. And mm-hmm. we say, don't talk to anyone about this. Right. Right. But if your kids don't have any involvement in these decisions that you're making, then they're not going to know how to handle finances themselves. Mm-hmm. And they watch and they see things. You never had to tell them anything. And they saw you were, you had one vehicle And it was opportunity cost, you know, if one Mm -hmm. person used it, someone else couldn't. And so your kids learned a ton just by seeing what you and your husband, so one of it, one thing is just live it out, Mm -hmm. be good stewards yourselves, and your children are going to get a wealth of of information and knowledge just from watching the way that you guys handle things. We try to invest, we talk to our children, because I don't as a pastor, I'm responsible for my own retirement. Mm-hmm. So I try to talk to our kids about where we invest money
0: mm-hmm. and these
1: things that they see us, they see us, uh, when they go to the store, even we try to bring them to the store and they see their mother saying, we're not going to buy this. Oh, look, this thing's on sale. It might not be right. quite as good, but, and so my church takes care of me. And I don't want to give the impression that we're, we're pinching, pinching pennies, but we try to be wise as much for the example that our children would see right. as to save money itself.
0: Yeah. And our kids, um, All of our grown kids have said we're so glad that we grew up like this because we're not afraid of having, you know, of not being able to spend tons and tons of money and not being able to, you know, they almost think of it as almost a burden sometimes, you know, just knowing what to do, but being wise with it. And also what you said about giving, I think um, not all parents maybe know that scripture that talks about the right hand not letting the left hand know what it's doing. So it's basically giving without anybody knowing about Mm -hmm. it. And um, that's, that is actually such a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. We have done that before. And just with people who had specific needs and did it through someone anonymously. And um, it was just so much fun. And our kids saw that, you know,
1: so mm. the, co- the context is not going on the street corner and advertising it. So we right. tell our kids, don't tell anyone, <laughs> don't type on, but we want them to know. And then I forgot to mention this, Brandon, And I'm glad I thought of it or I would have regretted it. Mm-hmm. You need to open, you need to open an account, a bank account for your kids at the earliest age, mm-hmm. get them excited about saving. And so at our bank, it's six years old. And mm-hmm. so, wow. and so our son, Noah, who is six, he looks forward like the other kids do to when he gets his statement each month from the bank (laughs) and then they get money and then they get excited. And so, and I'm super manipulative. So when our kids get money, family members will try to undermine you. So they're like, we're giving this money to your kids so they can spend it. So I Mm -hmm. meet with my child and I'm like, what do you think about putting that money in the savings account? Well, Mm -hmm. your child more than likely at a young age probably says, I want to spend it. So I say, okay, if you'll save it, I'll double it for you. You got $50, I'll give you 100 if you'll put that in your savings. And then they love to watch that number grow like that. And we've (laughs) actually, some of our older kids who are entrepreneurial, who have saved up thousands of dollars, we've taken their money and invested it, kept track of that and told them that they will get the return from those investments with us. Now, when your kid yeah. only has a few, uh, you know, hundreds of three hundred, four hundred dollars at six years old, sure. you're not going to be able to invest that. But I'm, but I think it's definitely very um, important at a young age to get them interested in savings and watching mm-hmm. their account. And we make them That's pay right? for about half of their things. My yeah. son that does landscaping, I said I'm very happy to pay for half of your new lawnmower or your mm-hmm. new um, weed whacker, and then they understand when they have to pay for it a better, what it means to steward and to, and to save and to spend that money themselves. Yes.
0: Yes. That's so good. That's so good. We, we had our kids, we had sort of a budget on, um, you know, we'll buy you this many pairs of pants, this many shirts, because when they got into the teen years, especially the girls, it seemed like the needs, needs quote unquote, never ended. So we had to put a limit on, okay, we'll, we'll purchase this many pairs of pants, this many pair, this many shirts, you know, every, you know what? Twice a year, or whatever, and and if you want anything above and beyond that, it's up to you. you. Yeah, so, very yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So lots of little ways we can start yeah. making our kids be responsible. All right. So uh, you told me earlier you have a giveaway for the listeners, and I'd love yeah. for you to share that, and then ways that they can connect with you.
1: Great. Thanks, Dorinda. Yeah. So I, I shared earlier my I wrote a marriage book, Your Marriage God's Way, before Your Finances God's Way, also also with Harvest House, and I have a a book. Uh, it's more of a pamphlet called Seven Biblical Insights for Marriage, which is just kind of some excerpts from the book. Mm-hmm. It's a short read, kind of like you have your unhurried, a simple right. a simple short book for people. Well, this is kind of a, a pamphlet. It's a free gift because my primary ministry or burden is for marriages. I do marriage mm-hmm. conferences more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love for any of your listeners to just come to my website. They can download that for free. And so my website is scotlapier.org. You can put my put that in the show notes there. I they know. can find my mm-hmm. books on Amazon. But my website is really kind of the hub where people can see my YouTube channel, my podcast, and things, okay. other things like that. And there's a contact page there if people have any questions or anything, I can serve them in any way. You know, they if money's even if money's tight, I'd be happy to give you a free electronic copy of the book mm. I wrote it to, mm. to equip people. And wow. so, yeah, my website would be the the main place where people can reach out to me. So thank okay. you very much, Doreen. It was a real blessing to be here today with you and your listeners.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And we'll make sure we include all of that in the show notes. If you wouldn't mind closing in a quick word of prayer, that'd be well great. Well said,
1: yeah, wonderful. Father, thank you for Dorinda and her, her burden to equip families yeah, to follow you. And as she said earlier, to obey your word, apply it to their lives, Lord. And so I pray, especially in this area of finances, I know it might've felt like a, you know, kind of a, um, a water kind of a ton, a ton coming at them in a mm-hmm. short period of time, Lord, help them mm-hmm. to, to take all that in, plant it deeply in their hearts to be able to apply it. And we pray, pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And
0: lastly, moms, I want to Uh, let you know about one resource that you might be interested in checking out. Um, Are you looking to give your child a well-rounded education while also ensuring positive socialization opportunities and their ability to succeed in life? Consider joining a Classical Conversations community and homeschooling alongside local families. Led by a trained licensed director, families learn through Classical Conversations proven Christ-centered curriculum together in community. With locations in all 50 states and over 50 countries, there is bound to be a community near you. To find your community today, visit classicalconversations.com Dorinda. That's classicalconversations.com Dorinda. And I will leave that link in the show notes. Have a great day.